Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. We just have so much to celebrate this morning, like Abby was saying. It's joyful to gather in this room. We're celebrating new life in different ways. There are people in the room pregnant. My wife is one of those people. I'm a father. Like, it's crazy. Life is amazing. We're celebrating new life in Juan's dad giving his life to Jesus. Come on, church. There is so much happening, and the Lord is so good. And that's we, we come this morning And I pray, I pray that's what you feel this morning. Just that's why we gather, to praise the Lord, not to glorify ourselves or to think that we have it all together, but we simply come and sit at the feet of Jesus and worship him. So that's what we're going to do this morning, and we're going to do that through honoring and reading of his word. And we believe and know that the word teaches that it is useful for us, and it will teach us this morning, and we can honor and glorify and praise him with that truth. Do you believe that this morning? All right, so we believe that the Lord is going to teach us through the scripture this morning. We're continuing in our series, Exiles. If you've been with us for a few weeks, we, we started, and it's studying First and Second Peter, which is really awesome, but also very difficult as a pastor teaching just picking one of the parts of the verses and trying to preach it because you could really make a lot of sermons out of the depth of First and Second Peter. So bear with us as we continue in this and as we try to put conciseness on it and give it a title of exiles and we hope that it fits well together and is practical for you this morning. But I'm excited for what the Lord has for us in this. He really worked with me in this truth this week. He really gripped my heart with it, dealt with me. So I'm not standing here this morning as your teacher saying, you guys need to do these things and I haven't done any of it. Like the Lord has beat me with this truth this week. It feels like he beat me down and said, before you teach it, you have to do it. And so know that I am right here with you as you feel convicted this morning or as you feel pushed to the Lord. I'm right there with you. Like we're all in the boat together. We're particularly going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, there's some on the back table. In the back, you can have it. It's yours. Keep it. There's French ones and English ones. Um, And it'll also be on the screen. You can use your phone. Whatever way you want to be able to follow along. If you're using your phone, I'm reading from the NIV this morning. If you would like to have the same translation, that can be helpful. And we're particularly going to be in verses 7 through 11 of 1 Peter chapter 4. While you're turning there, I want to explain what happens in the first six verses. We don't have enough time to really unpack and teach all of those this morning, but I want to set up what we're about to read and the truth that Peter has for us here. Peter, at the first six verses, is talking about suffering again. It's a very common theme throughout these chapters of Peter. He's talking about suffering, and it gets a little confusing with some of the wording. I did some studying in it this week, read some commentaries, heard what some other people had to say about it, and what I think we need to know for this morning, um, because the rest is an entire another sermon that we could preach. But what's important for us this morning is Peter is basically saying in those first six verses, we are born again through and because of Jesus Christ. And scripture puts it in a more simple way. I'll read Galatians 
It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. That's essentially, in a more simple way, what we need to take away from the first six verses of 1 Peter 4 here. Because we have been crucified with Christ and we are now raised to new life in the spirit, a new belonging to, we are exiles in this world. That's been the theme of this whole series. And Peter kind of reiterates that here again. We belong to Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that's why he starts verse 7 when he says, the end times are near. He says, be reminded you don't belong here. You are exiles and the end times are coming when you will be brought into your home. Judgment day will come, Peter's reminding, he said, I want us to know that we will be unified with the Lord soon and we will be taken home where we truly belong. We will no longer be exiles. And I think Peter starts chapter 4 with these reminders because as he goes into verses 7 through 11, he sets the tone for because you have been bought by the blood of Jesus, because you are made new and belong to the kingdom of God, this is how you are to live is that kingdom of God here. So he sets the tone for us saying, this is who you are in Jesus. This is who you are to be and look like as Jesus. And that's where I get our main thought for today is we are living together, stress and emphasis on the together, as exiles. And basically how the community of God is to live and look as exiles here. With that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Follow along. Peter writes, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love, this is a famous one. A bunch of people probably know this one. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. See, some people, Howard's following along. I think I heard Howard. Thanks, Howard. Verse 9 continues, offer hospitality to one another without, what does your translation say? Without what? Offer hospitality without what? Grumbling, all right, see, I'm going to do this so I know you're actually listening. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, verse 9, and then continue in verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And verse 11 finishes this thought. He says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever, ever. Amen. So Peter gives us here how the community of God is to live and look as exiles, leading to the end of all things that he says in verse 7. Because the end is coming, judgment day is near, as the end draws nearer, it seems to get harder. Scripture even talks about that as the end draws more and more near, it gets more and more stressful and more and more difficult and the world becomes more and more chaotic. And the emphasis put there is that we will need each other so much more. I don't know about you, but in my life, when things are going very easy and the the weeks are simple and, and plain and work's going well, I don't necessarily need a lot of help in my life. 
But when things start to kind of mess up and, and I get maybe sick and I need some food or, or maybe it's been stressful and I just need to talk to Stephen and vent about how this week has been crazy and I'm overthinking things, we need each other more in those stressful and harder times. And so similarly here, I think Peter's saying the end of times are near and it's going to get harder and we need community more. We will need each other more and we will need love more. We'll break into that as we continue. We live together as exiles. So you might say, what exactly does that mean? Practically, how do I do that? And that's why I want to look at the next five verses and see how we are to live together as exiles. Verse 7 starts off very simply. Simply, Peter says, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. That's kind of strange. You start to think about that. Be alert and of sober mind. Usually, you know, all right, I'm not going to drink so I can do this. He says, no, do this so that you may pray. And I love how that's the first thing Peter starts with when he's giving us these instructions of how we are to live together. He says, the first thing you need to do is guard and protect prayer. Not only to pray, but protect it, actively fight against the drunkenness that hinders prayer. It might be confusing. It's confusing to me. So I watched a really great talk about it by John Piper. You guys know he's like my favorite. He has this really cool look at the book that he does through 1 Peter. And he put it this way. When Peter writes here, being sober, it makes you think of the question, how does prayer flow from sobriety? How does non-prayer flow from drunkenness? Drunkenness like in life, not in the drunkenness of like getting drunk and passing out, those things, but the drunkenness of life. John Piper said this, he said, I walk into my room where I have my desk and my prayer neck. And he says, the tug to my desk is enormous. I look at that prayer neck and I immediately go here. I've got stuff to do. I've got to get work done. The desk is where I work. I've got to produce I have to do things. I don't have time to pray. I prayed before bed. No, 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 I gotta do things because that's what he wants me to do is I have to produce. We don't pray, we do. That's what we start to tell ourselves. And John Piper said, I preach to myself like this. You're drunk. At that moment, I'm being drunk. I'm woozy. I'm being controlled. Satan has dumped a gallon of whiskey productivity on you. And it doesn't look like drunkenness to the world. He says you slap a suit on it and it looks clean and put together and nice and successful. We're drunk when we don't pray. When we don't want to pray, we're drunk. We have to actively fight against that drunkenness and devote ourselves to pray. That tug to the desk may be hard, but I say, no, I'm going to go sit here. I do not want to be drunk today. I want to be sober and alert so that I might pray. We must stay alert, church, and sober, protect our prayer, and then we must actually be a people that do pray. We can't just go sit in that corner and say, all right, I did it. I didn't go to my desk. Pray. Fight for it. Pray out of drunkenness. So that's the first thing, to live together as exiles. We must be alert and of sober minds so that we may pray. To live together as exiles, we got to pray. Second thing in verse 8 as we continue, this is a verse you may know well. If you're like me, you know it well, you don't practice it well. 
<laughs> we'll read it. Verse 8, he says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of what? Sins. Ooh. That was hard for me. Prayer and love are the two things Peter starts with here. We must maintain that connection, that relationship with the Father through prayer, and we must love deeply, earnestly, your translation might say, as we have received love from the Father. Because, Peter says this, love covers a multitude of sins. I want to unpack that and I want you to know that this is not saying that our love for each other will pardon or undo our sins. Our love does not redeem or forgive anyone's sins. However, in living the community of God, deep love for one another will cover over the sins others commit towards you. And the community of God can stay unified. Instead of holding grudges and demanding payment or a wrong be made right, creating disunity, we extend deep and real love and it will cover sins. Not forgiving the sins before God, but then being covered over. I'll put it this way. I thought of this illustration this week. It really helped me. Soon I have to paint Judah's room. Judah is our son to be born in June, and we're really excited. And I have to paint his room very soon because the room he is in is currently pink. And apparently colors are gender specific, and I have to change that. But we've been looking for a reason to change the color for a while. So this is just an excuse to say, all right, got to paint it anyway. So we want to paint it a shade of green, you know, like that kind of uh, green that's really in right now. Um, Of course, we were choosing that color. It's such a nice color. Yeah, Brock held up a green similar to that. So I want to paint over this pink. And how I do that is probably I'm going to use a few layers of primer, some white primer so that the new paint will stick to it really well. So I'm going to use that primer, that white primer, cover over the pink, and I'll do one coat, and then I'll stand back and say, I still see a little pink. I'll do a little bit more. There'll be more primer on it. I'll stand back. There's some pink over here, more primer. And then once it's ready, I'll say, all right, I think I'm ready for the green. I'll come over with the green until it's gone, until all I see is green. And it'll be really nice, and there'll be no more pink. It'll take a few layers, a few layers of primer, a few layers of green, until you can no longer see the pink that was there. But the pink is still there. It didn't just magically go away. It's still behind those layers of paint. But the new layers cover over it. And all you can see is that green. Just like deep, earnest love for each other will cover over sins. The sins are still there. And sometimes they hurt. Sometimes they're annoying or frustrating. They still exist. The person has still done it. But guess what? Those many layers of love slapped on that wall, those many coats of deep, earnest love extended forward will cover up those sins. And when you look around that room, when you look around this room at each other, all you will see is love. When people outside look in this room and look at each of us, they won't see the dirty sins on the wall. They'll see the deep love we have for each other that we have received from Christ Jesus, church. And it'll be a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. So we've got to paint this room. We've got to paint each other with deep, earnest love. Living together as exiles, first we pray. Second, we love deeply. And third, we see in verse 9, 
Peter writes, offer hospitality to one another. He doesn't just say that. This is the challenging part. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Sometimes that's our favorite thing to do. Talking to myself, that's my favorite thing to do sometimes. Because often I'm quick to invite someone into my home. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do this, so I invite them in. But you're not going to get one of my bubblies in the fridge. You're definitely not getting one of my Coke Zeros. Those are precious. i got to have that at 4 o'clock or I'm, I'm not a good guy. Or maybe ah, you can have one, all right, but don't be asking for another one. Like you, that, Those are $3 a case, buddy. Come on. If you're like me, that's where we are. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm hospitable. But I'm like, nah, not, not, not these chocolates I just got. Like, man, they were at Costco and like, they're, they're, they're on sale, but like still. That's not hospitality, church. That's still selfishness. That's still begrudgingly being like, oh, I guess you can come and sit at my chair. But seriously, we're called as God's community to be hospitable to one another to believers and non-believers, but Peter is directly writing here to the people of the church, and he's saying, you must be hospitable to each other. Invite each other into your home. In case you missed it, it says means having people in your house. COVID may have made that hard this past two years or so, but it didn't make it impossible. I know for a fact it didn't make it impossible. And I had this question that was posed to me this week as I read, when was the last time we had someone in our home? I want us to ask that question this morning. When was the last time I had someone in my home? When was the last time we were hospitable to those in this church? We're told here to be hospitable without grumbling, so we've got to invite people over. And you may be sitting there and saying, well, Dylan, I'm, I'm just not a good cook. My place is really gross. It's not very nice. People's places are so much nicer. Guess what? I know this because I do it often. Domino's Pizza delivers for $3. Did you hear that? $3. Uber Eats be taking like 20 bucks out of your meal. Domino's takes $3. They deliver for 3 bucks. You don't got to cook. Order some pizzas. They got gluten-free pizzas. They got vegan pizzas for our vegans in the room. Like, come on. They got options. And if your place isn't that nice, I promise you, your place is nicer than the places that, of the people that Peter is writing to here. They're much nicer. And I'm not saying this because I don't want to guilt you. I don't want you to feel guilty for not doing this. I want to encourage you to walk into the joyful truth that he has for us. I want to push you to experience real community, to live as the true community of God as exiles because it is so joyful. To share a meal with each of you, to sit around a table and just talk, to open our homes and our lives to each other. Community is joyful. And we tell ourselves this lie that it's a burden and that I don't want it and I'm better without it. And sometimes it is hard. But I promise you, you walk out of that and you say, why did I not want this? This was joyful. It's a representation of the kingdom of God. And the people around us get to see a picture of the kingdom of heaven as we live it. As we are hospitable to each other. Let me tell you, hospitality, hospitality is strange to this world. 
There are other cultures in the world that it is more likely to happen in, but it is so strange here in Quebec, let me tell you. When we first moved in, we took cookies to our neighbors because we're from the south and you do those kind of things. We wanted to meet our neighbors and like we were just like, what are you doing? You selling something? What do you want? I'm telling you, it is weird here to be hospitable. It is weird to invite people into your home, to feed someone, maybe let them stay in your apartment. It is weird to this world. But it is a major characteristic of the home we belong to, church. So living together as exiles, we pray, we guard and fight prayer, we jump out of that drunkenness, we love deeply as we receive love from the Father, and we're hospitable without grumbling. And this last one in verse 10, the last one Peter gives us, he says, each of you should use your gift, in verse 10, you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So basically what Peter's saying here, he's looking at each of us and saying, you have a gift. You have been given a gift from God directly. Each and every one of you, you have a gift. It's been given to us by God. And every one of you in this room is to use it. And how we use our gift to serve each other. As faithful stewards of God's endless grace. Maybe you don't know what the word steward is. I had to look it up because it's kind of an older term. So a steward in this time was appointed by the master of a home. And the steward would be over all the other servants. And the steward would give to each of the servants what they needed from the master's supply of things to complete their serving for the home. To accomplish their service, they would go to the steward and say, I need this from the master. And the steward would say, here you go. The steward helped supply the other servants with what they needed from the master to accomplish their task of serving the master. In the same way, to be good stewards with the gifts God has given us, to serve each other so we can serve the Lord and each other. It's this really cool endless cycle that only works as we as the church share our gifts, as we steward our gifts that we have received from the Father, as he gives us from his endless grace, we then give to the others that are serving the Lord. And then as they receive from the Father and us, they then steward their gifts to each of us and the Lord. It does not work, church, if you are holding on to your gift so greedily. If we keep our gift for ourselves and say, no, or we think, I don't have a gift. I'm not special. You've been given a gift, and we can't operate as the kingdom of God if you are not serving with it. And Peter gives some examples here. He's like, if yours is to speak, speak, of the, speak as if it's the oracles of the Lord. If it's to serve, serve from the Lord's strength. And you can read Romans 12 this week if you want. It gives another picture of our gifts. And there are so many. It's not just standing up here and speaking on a Sunday. There are so many gifts. Hospitality, giving, loving, gener- like grace, like there's so many, encouragement, there are so many different ones and each of you have and are made uniquely with those gifts. 
It only works, church, this only works if we're good stewards. If we give away what is given to us to serve and love each other. This will not work if we don't serve each other with what he's given us. So come on, church, let's serve each other. Let's be encouraging to each other. Let's love each other. Let's be there for one another. This is how we're to live together as exiles. We pray. We fight out of that drunkenness. We show deep, earnest love. We're hospitable without grumbling, offering up our Cokes and bubblies because he's provided them for us. They're not ours. We use our gifts to serve one another in the church. And Peter ends with verse 11 as to why we are to do these things. It's not just so we look so clean and nice and perfect and are this secluded bubble away from everyone. This is why he gives us these instructions to live together as exiles. The last part of verse 11, Peter writes, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen, church. It is not for our gain. It is not for our glory. But it's so that God be praised through Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus we are made exiles. We are brought into this community by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only way is through him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way I can do these things. He's the only way that I can live as a proper exile. And through Jesus, God be praised. To him be the glory and power forever. That all we do here on earth may bring him praise. That as I pray out of drunkenness and I spend time in prayer, as I devote myself to deep and earnest love for each of you, as I am hospitable and open you into my home, and as I serve with gifts, it is all for the glory of the Lord that he received the praise from all of that. Not so that people could look at me and say, man, Dylan's such a good Christian. He does all this well, because I promise you we're going to mess up. I promise you we're not going to be perfect. But that's where this love comes in, this love on the walls that covers over sins. Because it's not for us to be perfect, but it's for God to receive glory, church. That's why he calls us to this living. As exiles, we live in prayer, love, hospitality, and serving with gifts, because it glorifies God through Jesus. These are the characteristics of the kingdom of God, and we belong to that kingdom. And the beautiful picture we get to see as um, in discipleship this week, Stephen and Juan and I talked about these verses this week. We just talked about the beauty of Jesus continually saying in his ministry, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is coming. And then he says, the kingdom of God is upon you. And we pray, your will be done, your kingdom come. As earth is on heaven, or on heaven is on earth. So the beauty is, as we live as these exiles that belong to the kingdom of God, we actually take a chunk and we bring it and plant it right here in Montreal and Point St. Charles, and we say, look at the kingdom of God. This is what it is. 
It's full of prayer. It's full of love and hospitality and serving each other. And as we do that and live this beautiful life together, the world looks and sees the actual kingdom of God. As we live like these verses, the world experiences it, the kingdom that we belong to, church. And it'll be weird, and they might think it's weird, but it's this beautiful picture of how we're made to live and what God has for us and this calling that he has for us. These five verses, as we close and reflect on them, they call us to action. And I don't want you to sit in this chair this morning and then get up and walk away feeling defeated and feeling, I just haven't been living as an exile. The door is wide open and he's saying, come sit at the table, live as an exile with us. There's no judgment because guess what? We have this deep, earnest love that will cover over our failures. And I'll say, I don't care what's happened. Maybe you haven't been perfect. Me either. But guess what? Each of your love for me covers over those. And I can still walk as an exile with you. But we have to respond this morning, church. And we respond in action. Not just saying, oh, I got to do better. We respond by doing. We live out these verses and we do it together. Because I can try to do it on my own, but I promise you, doing this with the people in this church, with each of you, is so much more joyful. As I invite people into my home and you're there, as I serve and you're there, it is so much better. We start in prayer, rooted in his love, so we can extend his love. We live together as exiles. Do not do this alone. Don't fall into that lie of, you know, I don't really need to come this morning or next morning or, you know, if I miss discipleship a few times, it's okay. Or, you know, I'm just not feeling it this week, so I don't really want to be around anyone. I promise you, do not fall into that lie. Oh, it is from the enemy. Oh, it's from the enemy. He doesn't want you to participate in this because it's life-giving and it's joyful and it's where we experience Jesus. And he wants us to tell ourselves that I've just had a busy week at work. I'm just peopled out. I don't want to serve this week. You know how much I've been doing this week at school? I'm a grad student. They basically just use me and don't pay me. Any grad students in the room know that's true. But we still serve each other. We still say, Lord, I'm fighting that drunkenness. I'm going into prayer. Lord, strengthen me this week with your love because I need to be in your kingdom. I need to be with your people. I need to be in the community amongst unbelievers with your people. I can't do this alone. I can't walk this alone. Walk into community this morning, church. Let's be exiles together and hold each other up and pray with each other and love each other and share our Coke Zeros with each other. Let's do that. Come on. Cold brew is how you know, like, I really love you if I've given you some cold brew because that's, like, harder to make and uh, takes, like, a full day to make it, so... Kind of my home, I'll share cold brew with you. Let's live together as exiles, church. It's joyful, it's beautiful, it's hard, it's exhausting. But I promise you, it's better than the life we, we choose ourselves. And the world will see Jesus. I'm telling you, the world will see Jesus. It'll be beautiful. The kingdom of God will be beautiful here in Montreal. People will come to know him. Let's pray for that to happen as we close. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. 
If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.